These are the daily lectionary comments for July the 25th. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're introduced to Saul for the first time, and the table is set for his being anointed as king in tomorrow's devotion. And Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 37, Paul uh, gives a defense of himself to an angry Jewish mob that almost tore him to pieces in yesterday's devotion. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, we are introduced to Saul. Interesting that the first thing that we are told about him is that he's handsome and very tall. That's all we know at first. He's handsome and very tall. And that's kind of interesting that that's the way he's introduced. Nothing about his spirituality. You might note that in, in, there's nothing really in today's devotion that suggests much uh, about, about Saul's uh, faith in God or, or the strength of that faith or his devotion or anything like that. It, it's kind of empty of that. Um, so that's, that's an interesting thing. We'll see tomorrow that there's a little bit more of a development of that, and we'll see that it's kind of a mixed bag. At any rate, uh, in general, looking at this, uh, this chapter, we see that uh, we have what we might call a series of divine appointments. You know, when uh, the idea is that God just has you show up in a particular place in a particular time because there's somebody that he wants you to meet there. And the story of the donkeys and they're looking for the donkeys, uh, which, I mean, actually, th th these were valuable things that they were looking for. It's not like they're looking for a stray cat. Uh, but at any rate, the, the, the donkeys and looking for the donkeys ultimately caused them uh, to come up with the idea of going to see uh, Samuel. And Samuel is just talked about as as a um, a holy man. Um, he's not; uh, it's a man of God, and we're not even told his name at first. So you're not even sure that this is Samuel that they're talking about. It's it's Saul's assistant that suggests that they go see this man of God, the seer, and perhaps he can tell us where our our, our donkeys are that we're looking for. So at any rate, uh, this all, you know, you can see that God's hand is behind all of this, leading Saul to, uh, to talk to, to Samuel. Meanwhile, uh, the Lord appears to Samuel and lets him know that Saul is on his way and that this is the man that God has chosen to lead the people. Saul, of course, has no idea about any of this. So we have, we have God working behind the scenes to sort of bring Samuel and Saul together, and Samuel has been instructed what to do. All that is going to happen tomorrow. We're going to find out what happens, actually. Now, there's this interesting line where it says that uh, they used to be called seers, and now they're called prophets. And uh, you may have uh, noticed that. It's kind of, uh, uh, kind of interesting. That's in verse 9. And what's the difference between a seer and a prophet? Well, uh, a seer is one who sees visions or sees the future because of what's in those visions. A prophet is a larger term. It's more all-encompassing. Uh, a prophet might see a vision and might see the future. The Lord might reveal that to him. But the primary thing that makes a prophet a prophet is a prophet delivers a message from God. And that message might involve a vision of the future. It might involve a vision, and it might not. So uh, the, the role of these men of God uh, that God selects uh, it really expands in time when it, it becomes more favorable to refer to them as a prophet because they really do more than just see the future. 
So anyway, we have that, that interesting little, little note there. Another thing that you might notice is how ad hoc and informal the worship is. Um, they're talking about a high place and offering sacrifices on a high place. And, and Samuel is going to be here and he's going to be there to bless that, that sacrifice. And you have the impression that these things are happening all over the place. But when you go back to the law of Moses, it's very clear that's not how it was supposed to be. That, that sacrifice was to happen at the tabernacle and only at the tabernacle. There weren't supposed to be any, any sacrifices anywhere else. And the tabernacle had been at Shiloh. Uh, but Shiloh is now destroyed. Uh, we're not sure exactly where the ark was at this time or what or, or what was being done for worship. It's, it's kind of an unusual thing. In the time in the wilderness, the people were to, the, the, the focus of worship was at the tabernacle. And Moses made it very clear that when the people get into the promised land, God will select the location where his name will dwell. And there will be the new central place for the worship of God's people. That has not happened yet. That will happen under David. He will conquer Jerusalem and his son Solomon will build the temple there. And Jerusalem will become the place where God places his name, the central place for worship. Um, but that's not happened yet. So we're betwixt and between. And frankly, we really don't know a whole lot about what was going on. Uh, with worship and where the priests were operating and how they were operating. This doesn't seem to be the way Moses had uh, delineated how this was supposed to happen. But we're not told that Samuel was doing anything wrong by having a sacrifice uh, at a high place. Uh, later on, high places are going to be synonymous with pagan worship. But uh, at this place, at this time, it, it doesn't seem to be. So we really don't know what all uh, is uh, is going on there. At any rate, um, Samuel tells Saul, look, send your assistant ahead. I need to talk to you privately. And then, then our devotion ends. Tomorrow we will see what Samuel has to say to Saul and what happens after that. All right, our, our lesson from Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 37. This is a bit of a transition. Uh, yesterday, you remember that... Um, uh, Paul was in the temple, uh, and, and while he was there, he was spotted by some of the Jews who had suspected that he had been going throughout the world, turning Jews away from the law of Moses and preaching against the law of Moses. He was there in the temple, if you'll recall, because this was an effort of the apostles and James to kind of set the record straight and show that Paul, in fact, is not an enemy uh, of, of the law of Moses. That didn't work, and the crowd went mad, and Paul was almost torn to pieces. And he was rescued only at the last minute by this Roman tribune. And, and so then as Paul is in, in the custody of the Romans now and protected from the Jews, the Jews apparently gather all around. Uh, and, and, uh, and Paul asks the tribune if he can speak to the audience. And we see that the uh, Roman tribune is rather surprised that, uh, that Paul speaks Greek. And in a minute, we're going to find that the crowd is surprised that Paul speaks Hebrew. He speaks them both. Uh, Paul was a very highly educated man. No doubt he spoke Latin as well and Aramaic. There may have been other languages that he was familiar with as well. At any rate, the tribune gives him permission to speak to the people. And when he began to speak to the people in Hebrew, it, you know, it's probably they were really hushed because the average Jew did not speak Hebrew. So they only spoke it in a liturgical context in worship. And so they probably weren't... It, 
Paul was demonstrating his devotion to the law of Moses by speaking Hebrew, but he was also probably speaking a language that the people weren't quite as comfortable with as he'd been speaking Aramaic. And so they, they, there was a hush as they listened very carefully to what he had to say. Also, no doubt, they were very eager to in what he had to say. So he introduces himself, and we learn a little bit about Paul personally, that he, he, he grew up, he was born and raised in Tarsus, which is a Gentile city. And this is important. Paul was raised around Gentiles. He was familiar with, with, with Gentile life and, and what, what, uh, what the Gentile world looked like. He was raised in the Jewish quarter of a Gentile city. Then he was actually educated in Jerusalem itself as a Pharisee, one zealous for the law under a very famous rabbi by the name of Gamaliel. So he's, he's putting out before the people uh, his, his pedigree, as it were, and particularly the idea that he was educated uh, in Jerusalem under Gamaliel would have been very, very meaningful to these people that he was a Pharisee, zealous for the law, so zealous that he even persecuted these Christians uh, at first. By the way, this whole account here where, where Paul tells the story to the crowd about his conversion is the second time Paul's conversion is recounted in the book of Acts. He's going to tell the story uh, yet another time. So we're going to hear it a third time here in a couple of chapters uh, how Paul was converted. It shows you a little bit about how important uh, all this was. Now, all of these little details are telling us not only something about Paul's ability uh, and, and his, his intellectual skill uh, and his education, but we are also told and given some interesting uh, clues about how God long ago had been preparing this man to be uh, a, um, an emissary and an apostle to the Gentiles because he was thoroughly familiar with the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, thoroughly familiar with Hebrew and the Jews themselves and the Pharisees, so he could preach in the synagogues in all of these Gentile towns. But he was also very comfortable dealing with Gentiles themselves. Not unlike how God prepared Moses to be 40 years in the wilderness uh, and 40 years in the court of the Egyptians before he would actually take up the mantle of the leader of God's people to lead them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. So we see that God is, is preparing his people for the particular task he's going to give them. And we learn a little bit about how that happened here with uh, Paul. More about what happened as a result of this speech in tomorrow's devotion.